1: Hello! And welcome to the SmackDown review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Daddy Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of SmackDown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review SmackDown, but also Monday Night Raw, NXT 2.0, Hello. AW Rampage, Rampage pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, round table discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a Blake quiz of course, on wrestling. As I said, though, joined by Cedric to review Friday night SmackDown. And what do you make of this show, Siege?
2: Uh, it's a bit rubbish, to be honest. You know what's great about it, though, in the capacity of a reviewer, there's so little wrestling that you don't really have to talk about it that much. You don't have to pay attention to it that much. Did someone, I don't know if someone did the maths or if this was just like a joke, but what, like 18 minutes of wrestling? It can't be that little. Maybe that was just a joke, but it certainly felt like it. It just feels like this show never has a great deal of wrestling on it. It does have an absolute abundance of pretty dire comedy, which in this case was at the very least elevated somewhat by the performer delivering it. There are storylines that are terrible, imitations of stuff we've seen 22 years ago that have been ongoing since August and are still happening with no development. Roman Reigns continues to be just head and shoulders above literally everybody else. It's just a pretty bad pro wrestling TV show. One of these days, I'm going to drop the ultimate tweet on there and just, in the best way to do it, right, is on a Saturday morning because the worst, I tend not to care about them so much anymore, but the absolute worst mutants, right? They always, if you notice, you could tweet you could call Vince McMahon worse than absolute shit on a Tuesday,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, you probably get a bit of blowback. But honestly, if you want to get quote-tweeted into oblivion, right, criticize WWE on a weekend. Criticize <laughs> WWE on a weekend because these people with no lives tell on themselves that they have no lives and will quote-tweet you into oblivion on a weekend. The ultimate tweet is something the, if I haven't got the correct wording yet, but the mega fans can get a, a sneak glimpse. Mm-hmm. Monday Night Raw is the worst, most poorly written, contrived television show in history. And it's still better than SmackDown, uh, because those are my feelings on the matter.
1: Yes, I uh, was talking to you before we started recording about how I... So, did a silly little tweet about the little 30-second video... Tonight on SmackDown that they always put out on WWE.com to lead into into the show about how there was a brief shot uh, featuring Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns doing the shield fist, but with no Dean Ambrose in sight. Just a little joke about them not suggesting that they did this because obviously there was a lot of Dean Ambrose in the show and on that exact promo, just a little joke that they were pretending that it was only ever Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns uh, in the Shield. Tweeted that. Nice little bit of banter for everyone on Friday night. Woke up on Saturday morning and apparently the uh, Vince Sells had found the tweet and thought I was talking after the show, which featured Dean Ambrose wall-to-wall in all these Shield videos, because of course it did. You can't really cut him out no matter how hard you try. And yeah, yeah, no one cared about that. And they, uh, yeah, I got called a bony little virgin. So that was nice. <laughs> but the, the well, was there's a rule,
2: what's the rule of the internet that is a part of what's the, there's, a, so, there's certain rules of the internet. The biggest one, in my opinion, is that uh, if you're saying that other people are virgins and you are a big sex stud, mm-hmm. you're, more likely than not, the virgin in this scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Just putting it out there. I don't think someone who defends the Fed religiously to the point where they like to hate follow certain, like they hate monitor certain accounts they don't follow mm-hmm. just to defend the Fed. I don't think you. I don't think you're having wild sex. Yeah, I don't think you're having like full intercourse on the regular something there's something about your twitter activity your social media activity the fact that i don't even know what the fuck you look like uh but you know i might have something to do with it. you're probably f- obese Now, there's anything wrong with that but you know what i mean i was sick of them absolutely sick of them anyway sorry will but i've made your job a little bit uh more difficult that's all right you're you're always
1: living in my head rent free anyway so it's not no, no, shut up time. man. Uh, right let's talk about this show because like you say it was a bit all over the bloody place and uh, the show opens uh video package highlighting Rollins and reigns that was uh, teased throughout the show with some great sort of historical memories from the stuff that happened with the two of them. I'll mention them as we as we go past them uh, and then we get the Usos coming out to cut a promo they uh, talk about beating the new day definitively last week to retain those Smackdown tag team titles but talked about how they respect the new day because they're the only team to really push them to the limits. Uh, Jimmy claims the Usos are the greatest tag team of all time. Jay just keeps saying yeet all the time for some reason. Um, they said, they, they showed the hand. They said they are going to come out and, uh, and help potentially Roman Reigns when he comes face to face with Rollins later. But before that, there is a fatal four way match to determine the number one contenders on SmackDown. And, uh, Jimmy did some funny little introductions for each of the teams God, the state of this bloody SmackDown tag team division. Jesus Christ. We had Jinder Mahal and Shanky, the Viking Raiders, Los Lotharios, and that infamous best friend team with such a storied history, Cesaro and Mansoor.
2: I mean, let's go down the run. It's (laughs) don't even have like four tag teams. I was looking
1: at this, right, as they came out, and I was like, well, it's, It's definitely not going to be Jinder Mahal and Shanky, right? I was thinking, could be lost Lotharios, but that dynamic could be weird. Cesaro, Mansoor. Yeah, I suppose they could do something. And I was like, also, it's probably going to be the Viking Raiders, despite the fact that they lost in about three minutes last week on SmackDown to uh, Mad Cat Moss and Happy Corbin. And uh, that's that's what happened. Uh, I did like the bit with... The Usos staying in the ring for all the four teams coming in, doing the usual instructions before they head out to do commentary. And then just out of nowhere, super kicking Ivar and Mansoor and being like, off you go, lads. Uh, Big brawl breaks out, takes us to commercial. When we come back, uh, it's Jinder Mahal and Shanky teaming up on Eric, beating him down. Uh, He eventually gets out of there, gets to Ivar who comes in uh, and knocks both members of Los Lotharios and Mansoor and Cesaro off the apron as he's making his offence. Shanky goes for a splash in the corner, uh, but he gets out of the way, and Eric does that thing where he picks up Ivar and just chucks him into Shanky. Uh, Ivar goes up top. Mahal cuts him off. They're fighting on the top rope. Cesaro jumps in, tries to help Mahal uh, hit a double superplex, and instead Eric jumps in, and does a sort of double power bomb to Cesaro and Mahal, neglecting to, to mention the fact that Ivar probably took the worst of it. Yeah. Regardless, uh, Mansoor is is subsequently beaten down and isolated. Gets out of there, gets to Cesaro, gets the hot tag, runs wild, and reminds us how bloody brilliant he is. Uh, Samoan drop to Umberto, goes to give Ivar the giant swing, gets it going, uh, but Umberto gets in to break it up, and Mahal hits the collapse on Umberto Carrillo. Uh, the Los Lotharios then hit Mahal with a double super kick, double suicide dive to the outside onto uh, Mahal and Shanky. Ivar sets up to do something similar, but Los Lotharios catch him with a double super kick, uh, but the Viking Raiders fight back. Hit the Viking experience on Umberto. One, two, three. They are the number one contenders and there's a bit of back and forth between them and the Usos standing on the announce table as this uh, section ended.
2: Uh, Yes, it's just an odd experience because it's it's the same dissonance you get from watching almost every other WWE match in that you're watching good to very good action. In phases, some of this match wasn't particularly good. But, you know, they know how to just, these are like the trained professional wrestlers, some of which, is Cesaros, your Viking Raiders, like Los Lotharios have had more experience as well. They, their bread and butter is working multi man tags and doing their spots, and structuring them in a way that's going to pass for a good match. Mm-hmm. They can do this kind of thing in their sleep there's various tricks they can do, like double teams and counters in a genre like this to get a pop and to work a quote-unquote good match. But I just had no emotional investment in it whatsoever because, as you said, Will I'm looking at this roll call of teams and I'm thinking, like, I know for a fact this promotion doesn't care about tag team wrestling, but there have been fleeting occasions in recent years when they do enough to make you forget, and this wasn't that. No, Like, the Viking Raiders, as you pointed out, got beat. By a comedy heel act within three minutes last week, and now I'm expected to take them seriously as tag team title contenders. This, like, even if they're not going to win the titles off the Usos, um, at least have the like, at least don't have the audacity to make me think that's absolutely not going to happen. Like they lost a week ago in three minutes, <laughs> and now they're winning against every other team, not except the ones that they got beat off. There's no division. There's no emotional investment. There's no continuity. This is super brained, booked by a madman stuff. You can't even articulate his thoughts anymore, much less actually possess them.
1: I think it speaks volumes that as I was watching this and thinking, right, well, they've they've definitively put away the new day for the time being. (laughs) These are your next four options, effectively. And all I could think was, God, they need a draft to bring in some more tag teams to SmackDown. <laughs> I thought, they just had one! They had one a month or two ago. Jesus. But yes, like you say, the Viking Raiders aren't taking boots. the they tag don't need drafts, it. much less one every month. Uh, the Viking Raiders aren't taking the tag titles off the USO, so it is what it is. But it's something to keep them busy, I suppose, for the Royal Rumble. So so there we have it. I, I, you know, nothing against uh, Eric and Ivor. They're incredibly talented, and they should... You know, they've been former tag team champions. They should have so much more uh, status, let's say, within WWE. But You can't do what you did. Like, even if you just didn't do what you did last week, I'd buy them as way more of a threat, even though I know they're not taking the titles off the Usos. You couldn't have just had, maybe have Eric or Ivar get beaten in singles action against Corbin and say, oh, well, that's because... You don't beat them at all. Well, exactly. I'm, There's I, no I,
2: need to beat them at all.
1: Beat any of the teams we've talked about here, but still, no. The uh, Viking Raiders are well,
2: the has done has actually thought about it enough in advance where you think, oh, the Viking Raiders are probably the best team we've got. They're a good interim challenger, if you like, for the Usos before they probably do, they'll probably just do a ladder match with the New Day because they've not really done that. I don't think, and that's a decent sized tag team attraction for Mania. So what they should have done was, right, okay, well, if we're going to do New Day versus Souls ladder match, we've already just about done it, so we need something in the interim. The Viking Raiders are the best, most established team. Um, Right, who are the other teams we've got? Uh, They can beat the other teams at a three-week spree um, across three weeks of episodic TV. Um hopefully they'll get over hopefully they'll come across as a legitimate threat because we're actually thinking just just i'm only asking them to do it for three weeks because there's three teams three (laughs) weeks of a push win 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 oh we've won a lot we should get a tag team title opportunity and what should be a very good match they can't book man they're useless um
1: we go backstage uh, following a video of Sonia Deville interfering in Naomi's match with Charlotte Flair. Naomi storms into Deville's office, furious that once again she's interfered in here. Bios, uh Last week. She wants to know why Deville's got a problem with her. Uh, and De- Deville basically says she doesn't like Naomi's attitude. And she says, look, I know you want to fight me, but when this jacket is on, I'm your boss. You can't touch me. Uh, remember that for later. Uh, and she says Naomi needs to get out of her office before Deville takes it even further and maybe kicks her out of the Royal Rumble match. And Naomi walks off. Adam Pierce comes in and goes, oh, is it cold in here? And they they pump the thermostat up. This was a story long arc, Michael Sidgwick.
2: There are people, right, um, out there who are insistent that AEW do something more like this to build towards the main event, sort of. Um, retain viewers throughout the night that aren't necessarily interested in certain individual matches, hence why the rating line goes a little bit like a peak in a trough. Who should They should do things like this. I'm not saying they can't do a good version of it, but this is what usually it is. It's funny, if you're going to do an emulation of a sporting league, fixtures is usually the way to do it. Um, if you want to do absolute bollocks sports entertainment, it is to take, is to have one of your baby faces, right? Take an incredibly... Like, metaphorical, like, statement, see, like, seriously and literally, and attempt to actually remove the clothing from her. We all want when this jacket's want- on, like, it's not as if the jacket itself imbues her with the, <laughs> the, the powers of being an executive, it's not as if it's written into her contract, or you can only conduct your responsibilities as an executive, matchmaker, talent liaison, whatever the the title is. Oh, but if you're not wearing that specific jacket, mm-hmm. right? If you're not wearing that specific jacket, uh, you don't have the job anymore and people are free to assault you or whatever. Alright, okay. Here's a hypothetical scenario for you, Will born okay? What if Sonya Deville, right, is doing the most stellar job imaginable as the SmackDown matchmaker? Mm-hmm. She, in fact, creates so many fantastic matches that within two years, a new boom is created. Right? A new boom is created. The ratings are absolutely through the roof to a level where you thought, God, they're still streaming services because these ratings look like pre Netflix. They're so great. Right? Mm-hmm. What if that specific jacket she's wearing starts to like fray a little bit at the collar? Right? <laughs> and she decides to replace the jacket. And a baby face goes, Ah, oh, she's not wearing the jacket anymore. Right? I can fight her now. <laughs> oh, you know, sorry. If you don't wear that jacket, it wasn't your contract. It doesn't matter how well you've done to get these ratings, Sonia, you're fired because you're no longer wearing the jacket that you are contractually obligated to wear. Otherwise, you can't perform your duties.
1: I mean, we were one step away on this show from Naomi walking in with a fake beard on and going, (laughs) excuse me, Mr. Ville, can I take that jacket to be dry cleaned for you?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Wait a second. Who's under that beard?
2: (laughs) Everyone's a moron. I'm. I, I'm. I hate it. the storyline. God damn! It. It's not even that. They've done worse. They've done worse than this. But my god, how could anyone possibly care? Everyone involved is an idiot. Imagine taking things literally like this. Is she a child. She's <laughs> six t- years old.
1: <laughs> it did take me this. We'll come back to it later. We got a video package uh, highlighting <laughs> Rollins and Reigns. Uh, in The Shield, which did feature Dean Ambrose. So, uh, well, those people on Twitter sure showed me for a tweet I sent before the show. Uh, Anyway, and then we got Sami Zayn debuting a new segment. He comes out, talks about the conspiracy against him, talks about Johnny Knoxville, airs a video package in case we'd forgotten what happened last week. Um, He says he's happy, though, that Knoxville's in the Rumble because he's entering the Rumble as well. Uh, But he was upset that Knoxville thinks that you can just walk in and be a wrestler. But Sammy Zane can just easily do what Knoxville does even better. Everyone knows he's a bigger jackass than Johnny Knoxville. Uh, and so he introduces his new stunt show, In Zane. Very nice. Um, he comes out, he's in a shopping cart, uh, and there's a little ramp, and he's apparently planning to jump the ring. There's a crash mat on the other side of it where the commentators are. Uh, I suppose he'd have more success than Sinkara's entrance, but still. Um, he uh, gets pushed out by two blokes and faffs about for ages. I'm going to do it. Oh, no, wait a second. He's not sure. Oh, I'm going to do it. Oh, no, wait a second. I'm not sure about this. Or is this the trolley as big as we when we used it in rehearsals? Blah, blah, blah. Sets up to do it. Gets runs down, well, He gets pushed down the uh, entrance ramp but stops just before and decides, you know what, bollocks, I'm not doing it. Gets in the ring, ranting and raving, and who should jump up on the apron? Then Rick Boogs, that distracts Sami Zayn. Shinsuke Nakamura comes in behind Sami Zayn. He can't see him, turns around uh, into a Kinshasa, and uh, Rick Boogs picks up Zayn and press slams him uh, out of the ring onto the crash
2: pad. I'm conflicted here, Wilborn. (laughs) I'm very conflicted. If you put Corbin, right? I'm not saying Corbin's a terrible performer. I don't like his ring work necessarily. And I don't like this current gimmick, but he's proven to me that he's got something about him, right? But Corbin in this guise, right? It's happy Corbin. Imagine they're doing the Johnny Knoxville stuff, but with Corbin and Moss instead mm-hmm. of Zayn. Because I hate this gimmick that they're in, this happy madcap stuff, right? You take Sami Zayn out of this segment, right? and it's woeful Mm, yeah it is so bad it is so removed from professional wrestling you have two baby faces ganging up on a heel at the end of it if you did want to think of it within the parameters of something that's happening on a wrestling show and the the established psychology of a professional wrestling show what drives conflicts and how you get behind people you've still got two heels uh, baby faces ganging up on a heel at the end of it anyway so that sucks even as the loosest possible version of wrestling, it still sucks. But it wasn't that. It was, how do you make jackass not funny? Like, <laughs> jackass, it doesn't matter how much. It doesn't matter the extent to which you would like to think of oneself an intellectual. Like me, for example, who could be a pedantic little twat when i want. It doesn't matter how pretentious you want to be. Um, doesn't matter how refined your tastes are. There's a universal appeal to something like Jackass. Yeah. Like just watching people yeah. get like fall over or get violently hurt or whatever. It appeals to our most base, cruel human instincts. Put Jackass in the context of WWE and they make it not funny. They are so bad at everything. Like the worst thing is, I oh, went out a wrestling show. It's like, yeah, he was at everything else. <laughs> the idea of, oh, got you. I've just gently landed you onto a crash mat. That Sami Zayn then has to sell. It's like, wouldn't it be a funny visual, funnier rather visual gag if you'd simply missed the crash pad, which is meant to cushion your blow and go, oops, sorry. Like, wouldn't that be a gag? Like, oh god, it's so bad. And yet, because Sami Zayn, Sammy Zayn, he's like, he's a pretty funny guy, yeah. The yeah. sense of panic he managed to like reach the old octaves to get the sense of panic just before he was about to go on the ramp, like legitimately pop me. But I know he could be doing so much, so much more. If, he does, if he's done his legacy years, his creative years, and God damn it, he's earned the glittering reputation he still has to this day. And he's just doing this because he's feeling a little bit broken down and he's getting paid handsomely to do it. So be it. But even when I pop for Sami Zayn, it's still bittersweet because I know he could be doing so much else.
1: Like to take credit for this as well, akin to our uh, booking on the SmackDown preview. We suggested that Knoxville prank him in the build to uh, the Royal Rumble. Uh, and WWE thought now he can do one better. We'll do his own stunt show where there aren't any stunts. Uh, then we got, uh, before actually, Aaliyah's, uh singles in ring debut, uh, we got an interview with her. Uh, she said, Oh, don't want to be oh, embarrassing myself in my first singles match on SmackDown. Uh, I'm facing Natalia, you know, legend. And uh, Natalia's doing this new gimmick where she's just talking about all her achievements. She says, Look, there's no shame in losing to me. I've got three records in the Guinness Book of World Records, which Aliyah no sells by saying she didn't even realize it still existed. Natalia did not like this. Uh, Natalia was talking about all the things she's achieved most. Matches, most wins, whatever it is, um, and promised as she headed out that she was going to beat the Guinness World Record of three point eight seconds for the fastest women's match, which I suppose technically she did achieve, but she was on the wrong end of it. You see, before the match, Natalia jumps, Aaliyah beats her down viciously, lays her out uh, so much so that the referee waves off the match, saying Aaliyah can't compete. To which Aaliyah pops up and goes, "No, oh, fine." And the uh, announcer has to say, oh, change of plan. She can compete now. Uh, bell rings. Aaliyah immediately rolls up Natalya um, and uh, gets the 1-2-3 three in 3.17 seconds, which was subsequently announced as a new world record.
2: Right. You know when people say that WWE is like an awful, evil organization? Even like on these tiny little levels, yes, that is very, very, very much true. Like when you go, say you went to the first day of school, right? The first day of uh, secondary school in particular, when kids are starting to realize that it's, there's a competitive element to the social order. And if you win, you can become popular or, or at the very least you avoid being bullied. You are protected. You are dominant. You're not weak or anything like that. So kids, by the time they transition into their early teen years, decide to become little bastards, basically, because they know that if they are considered, like, weak or whatever, they'll get, they'll get the piss taken out of them, The lives won't be living. So you get... Uh, some kid has the the unfortunate... Um, the, the misfortune to have something happen to them or to do something accidentally on like the first day of school. Yeah. And it's going to persist with them all the way through and say, for example, that they um, fall over in class, right. Or whatever that's going to haunt them for the rest of their days in school. They can become adults where they never repeat the story. They could go to university in a different city or college in a different town and they could get a brand new social circle and like, it'll be fine because they're all grown-ups and in fact, they might let slip or like telling embarrassing stories or what happened to you at school as I fell over and they wouldn't be called our fall boy, fall out boy, fall down boy or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because they're grown-ups, right? WWE is run by one of the the most grown-ups, 76-year-old Vince McMahon. He still has this mentality, poor Allaire had the goddamn temerity to feel a little bit nervous on her nationally televised debut on Fox. I mean, mm-hmm. she was probably on USA, but this is a much bigger deal. And that's she's going to be the girl who's almost sick now. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the girl who's almost sick, who wretches, who can't believe that she's a winner, and she's wretched. And she's going to have to be made to like relive that embarrassment because WWE is year eight. That's WWE great, is man. year eight, and it's absolutely awful. As a guy, though, right? I know. I know. Ignore everything I've just said because this one's funny. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It was absolutely class running in year nine and you in year ten and you're a lad and your hormones are absolutely all over the place, shall we say? One time in geography, right? Uh, I'm not going to say the guy's name. Put um, in geography, this guy was asked. Uh, can you stand up, please, and repeat what you've just said? And he was like, no, oh. no, no. And the teacher was getting very, very irritated because this guy was usually quite mild-mannered. And it was like, it was the, it's the the cruelty of it. Like, the one time he gets called talking, like, the teacher, he must have been having a bad day, decides to kick the cat and call this kid out, even though he was, like, generally like, really well-behaved, harmless. And, uh, I told you to stand up. Could you stand up? And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And, like, I think the teacher instantly went, oh, he's got a stiffy. <laughs> I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to press this issue. Oh, I feel bad. And then one of the kids. Oh, I'm going to say his name wasn't Dave. Oh, Dave's got a stiffy. That's why he won't stand (laughs) (laughs) up. But we're 15. And that's what you do when you're 15. You try and get an opportunity for a pop. You get the laugh. And then that's it. Mm. No one remembers these things. 36 year olds. I never remember that. It just popped in my head. Yeah. Like Vince McMahon, I can have a private joke with me you and a couple of tens of thousand listeners yeah But I'm not doing it in front of millions of people right there's a difference yes. uh, there's a
1: difference. I will say this in my first year of university uh, on one of the first days in the uh, in the halls uh, a lad said oh can I, I need to because I don't know how to call the you know the right people because uh, uh I've dropped my keys down the toilet <laughs> and he became Pooey Joe for the entire time of university.
2: Uh, that's not funny you see i'm trying to make a salient point about compassion willborn don't tell us that anecdote no i will say i will say about this
1: as well um you all know i'm not exactly the biggest fan of natalia but i thought you know fair play to her when she was doing this on social media and saying like her assistants writing tweets for and about how successful and uh you know like you say you're the most influential of the uh, performers. You know, she may not have titles around her waist now, but look at all the things that she's done within the company. And I thought, I'm not, you know, hugely into this, but, you know, there's legs for a sort of mini feud on this where, you know, she goes around and, you know, teaches a few youngsters a lesson and then someone gets over, maybe it it was going to be Aaliyah, by finally defeating her. And it's so WWE to be like, yeah, what about that? But all condensed down into like a five-minute segment. Cool, so we're not going to yeah. let this one play out. It's just straight away. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm a record breaker. Psych, rolled up in three seconds. See you later. Doesn't do anything for anyone, but...
2: Doesn't do anything for anyone, this. Natalia, like, it's the wrong kind of records. I'm the longest serving. That means you've been around forever, and people are sick of it.
1: Like and they're going to they're gonna be like, hey, Aaliyah, record breaker. What? So her special power is roll-up. Is that what we're...
2: That girl who's going to be sick all the time. She (laughs) broke a record. That's crazy. You should cheer for that girl who's going to be sick all the time.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: Right, we go backstage uh, because Sonia Deville and Adam Pearce mightily impressed by the performance of Aaliyah. But oh, tell you what, Sid, it is boiling in their office.
2: We, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll
1: follow that up uh, a little bit later on in the show. Only the listeners can see your face now.
2: Anyway, let's I'm not move being on. funny, right? I'm not being funny, and I, I've I've grown out of the AEW versus WWE comparisons, right? Because WWE said over the weekend they're not the same things and that's very much true just not the way they intended I'm not joking when I say right there is something unfathomably stupid on every single episode of WWE television just something only the most demented mind could conjure every week every show that never gets uh, touched upon enough I just love them. you know what I might create a thread on Twitter as proof of this um theory. There is something unfathomably stupid on WWE TV every sit on every single episode of WWE television. I'm going to document it.
1: Do it. I'd, I'd I'd read that on a weekly basis without question. Um, right, then it was the time for the return of Alita. Uh, Michael Cole introduces her. She got a huge reaction from the fans, lots of chants, uh, lots of signs, all that sort of thing. Um and Michael Cole chats to her about influencing you know, Bailey and, and well, all the, all the women basically on the, on the current roster uh, and asked why Lita decided to, to enter herself into the women's Royal Rumble this year. And she said, look, you know, I've done a lot of things in my career. I've gone into the hall of fame. I've main evented Monday night rule. I was never in a Royal Rumble match back in the day. And I thought, yeah, but you, you were in the one in 2018. This isn't your first rumble, but they just went, oh yeah, no one remember that. Um, But I did like the fact she said she feels she's got one more run left in her. She's going to win the Rumble, main event WrestleMania, uh, and and go out on a high effectively. And the fans love this. When SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flem's music, of course, hits, she wanders out to the ring, uh, takes the mic from Cole, tells him to piss off. She'll take over the interview. Um, she she mocks Lita. She says, I'm gonna enter the Royal Rumble as champion, I'm gonna win, and then I'm gonna oh, and I'm gonna chuck you out by whilst I'm winning, and then I'm gonna choose my opponent at WrestleMania, and you're gonna be stuck with a loss and probably not gonna be able to deal with it properly. Uh Lita comes back calling Flair Tonya Harding, takes the Mickey out of her giant head. There's even a giant head chance. Um, and Flair furious at this. Reminds Lita that she beat and retired Trish Stratus at SummerSlam. Lita fakes a slap to Flair. Uh, Flair covers up. And then when she peeks back out again, Lita hits her with the twist of fate to close the show.
2: I wish it was to close the show. We've got more left.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry. Close the segment.
2: Oh, you've got my heart and my hopes up, man. (laughs) Thank you. The crowd at times, responded warmly to Lita. I like that Lita is getting um, reintroduced as sort of the legendary trailblazer women's wrestling figure within the context of WWE. I know that Minami Toyota exists, okay? Mm -hmm. I know that Minami Toyota exists, so I'm not going to regurgitate this dribble of, oh, how important it was that um, Trish and Lita debuted, they made an episode of Raw in 2004, right? Joshi was like, Dead by two thousand and four because that trailer had blazed; it already burnt out. So I'm not one of those nerds, but at the same time, at the same time, Lita had a horrendous run of it during those years when it, they're retrospectively like touted now as these trailblazing years and very progressive and influential. She got called a whore by masses of fans in every single arena for doing exactly that which Edge did, exactly. together with this with the the interlock. Interlocking pair of genitals, in fact. And Edge was a legend, heel, great heel. Lita was the the slut, and it always pissed me off. It pisses me off to this day whenever you rewatch it. So I really think it's nice that Lita can have this chapter of her run wherein she's just someone who was actually pretty damn good at wrestling and a huge crowd connection, like really underrated crowd connection and can go out without any kind of, of that residual stink on her. However, I didn't really like this at all. I thought the giant head pattern was woeful. Yep. I thought it was beneath the gravity of a big intergenerational clash like this. They should be talking about their respective legacies. Cherry picking, of course, Mm -hmm. their respective legacies. Putting them against each other. Kind of basic stuff that doesn't involve um, terrible pattern and schoolyard insults. And i tell you one thing I did like about um, this segment, not for the correct reasons, mind you. I laughed out loud at Charlotte's bump. What an absolutely terrible bump. Just commit. She looked like she was doing the worm. It's like you're bumping for your upcoming opponent's finisher. Just take the goddamn bump. and don't look like you're doing the worm and making me laugh in the process. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean...
1: I didn't like the segment, like you say, for, for all the reasons listed there, but I did look at it and think, yeah, I'd be all right with this being a WrestleMania match. I'm not, I'm not suggesting necessarily Lita needs to win the women's Royal Rumble to get it. I would still think, you know, maybe a, a Bianca Belair or a Rhea Ripley would be more deserving of that sort of thing. But crap patter aside, like you said, great reaction for Lita, uh, an intriguing matchup history, like you say, with, with Charlotte and, and Lita and, yeah, you know, past and present and, you know, the legacy of that, uh, WrestleMania as well, of course. Yeah, really excited about the potential this has, but, yeah, no more giant head patter for me. And I just... I didn't got know, a it, chant
2: it, now. It got a chant. We're in for it now.
1: I was genuinely shocked that it got such an instantaneous chant as well. Like, normally they have to be like, come on, everyone, giant head, giant... Head.
2: I know, but they are a bunch of seals, aren't they? A lot <laughs> of them. Not all of them but the ones who listen to this aren't, but you know, some of them are, some of them are.
3: Uh,
2: I really enjoyed actually
1: what came next. Um, Before it, we got a recap of the 12 days of Christmas street fight and then ricochet breaking Rich Holland's nose at day one. uh, And then Seamus before he walks out, um, points out, well, oh, what's wrong with this picture? I've not got my protégé Ridge Holland with me, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to go out there and break Ricochet's nose for him. I'm going to get some revenge tonight. And then we got Ricochet versus Sheamus. Uh, Ricochet in a little inset promo said, look, you know, I do extraordinary things and I'm going to break Sheamus's nose as well tonight, quite possibly. Um, but unsurprisingly, in the old Sidgwick uh, regular quote book, Two people who've been given god-awful storylines over the past few years. Two people who, if you just leave them to it and just go, right, lads, go out there, 10 minutes, Seamus, you're going over, can produce magic. Seamus and Ricochet work great together here Um, because it's a horrible bastard, hard-hitting Seamus versus incredibly talented, agile, athletic, gravity-defying... Ricochet, there's your match. Simple. Give them their time. Let them do stuff like this. Ricochet sends Sheamus out to the floor, dives onto him. Uh, But Sheamus trips Ricochet on the apron to regain control uh, and then gets him with his head and neck underneath the ring and does that sort of slingshot into the horrible metal underneath. Always think that looks like it absolutely sucks no matter what you do to try and protect yourself. Uh, Ricochet fights back after the break. Springboard crossbody off the second rope. Uh, Sheamus misses a bro kick, ends up on the apron and then Ricochet hangs him up on the second rope and hits a lion salt to his back for a nice two count ricochet goes to the 450 sheamus gets out of the way but ricochet landers lands on his feet but then runs straight into a beautiful tilt a whirl backbreaker uh from sheamus he goes for white noise off the top rope ricochet breaks out of it uh goes out to the apron flips back and hits a sunset flip power flower bomb sunset flip power bomb for a nice near fall uh and then as they are battling back and forth between the two of them. Ricochet goes to that handspring knee thing off the ropes and just flips around straight into a beautiful broad kick for the Sheamus victory. I really enjoyed this, like I said.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed this. If you, like, turn your brain off and just enjoy 10 minutes of an exhibition, which hmm. essentially is what this was. Yes, very, very good. Uh, there's no real emotional investment in it. If you emotionally invested in Ricochet, you're a moron. But in terms of the action... This is really well worked. They've had probably their best match because they've had some pretty bang average kickoff matches earlier last year when he was doing the um, hat and the dancing. Absolute bobbins. Um, Let's explore the dynamic that you've um, laid out there nicely. Uh, Nicely. One of my favorite things in goddamn wrestling and it shouldn't be hard. I mean, it is actually hard because what you're doing is asking for incredible execution of physically almost impossible things to pull off but you know when that happens it's great I'm going to put it over there's an aerial that Ricochet I'm not the best with like move name guy I can't do it I'm not Excalibur he does some kind of mad aerial at the outside right and he just hits it so clean he looks like he's literally collided into Seamus because it looks like it's an attack and Sheamus trusts Ricochet far more than creative do because he barely even lifts up his arms. he's like that guy's going to nail me because his timing is phenomenal And all I have to do is just bump a bit, even though I'm going to get forced to the mat. That was beautiful. Like, if you put these to an actual captivating program, you can add at least a star and a half to something like this because it would mean something. It would get the requisite reactions. I'll tell you another reason why this is great. Uh, Ricochet kind of annoyed me, like, during strict, full, original lockdown because he was out there, like, at Florida restaurants just, like, going, hey, look at me, I'm out. It's like, I'm good, because I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> I'm probably a little bit more uh, you know not as reckless as you are is patter tends to be lame does ricochets right here's a recent tweet of his are you ready for this? I'll go on so apparently there was there must have been he's either making this up or there was some kind of Twitter game or whatever this is a ricochet So your nickname is what most people call you by? So my nickname should be Best Match on the Show Ricochet. (laughs) Does he not know what a nickname is? Does he not not know how punchlines function? Do you not know how ridiculous that sounds? There are better ways of putting yourself over. Oh, you're right, Best Match on the Show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what are you doing uh, later tonight? Best Match on the Show? (laughs) Like, Rick is probably his nickname. Yeah.
1: Rick, here's how it works, right? Trev! You'd say, yeah, Trev. You'd say, what are you doing after the show? Pooey Joe. That's our nickname.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right, best match on the show. What 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 an idiot. And yet, and yet, when he does these spectacular things, I'm thinking, oh, you're great. I'm going to get behind you. Especially when you've got a bruiser in the opposite corner.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed his, what, four-minute match I think he had with Drew McIntyre on SmackDown a month or so ago. Uh, time has no meaning. It might have been more, like, slightly longer than that. But I loved that. And uh, I'm worried slightly that Ricochet is developing into a modern-day Dolph Ziggler as a result of what we're talking about here. But
2: I'll take that that's, rather than... Should we talk about the present tense? It's, yeah. That's a past tense, brother. At least, at least Ziggler got a moment in the sun. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's better than
1: why not me being Rome being Brock Lesnar? Oh, that's why. <laughs> I just remember that bloody promo from that Saudi show. He fought on. I think it was, yeah. Because they went, i oh, we can get away with this. It's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. Back to the uh, long-term storytelling on non SmackDown stage because uh, uh, Postman Pierce and uh, are talking about the Royal Rumble. But, What? Oh, Oh, I am sweltering. I'm sweating cobs. That's what they're saying. I'm sweating cobs on you. Um, and uh, they revealed that I think the thermostat's broken. So uh, Postman Pierce goes, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm will i going to get someone to, to go and fix it. And Sonny Deville's like, oh, oh, I feel like I'm in desert. Oh, I can't handle this. I'll tell you what I'll do to cool myself down, Sige. I'll take my jacket off. Oh, that's better. I'll feel benefit when I get outside now. But see what she's done there? She's taken the jacket off. That was the only thing stopping Naomi from caving her head So Naomi walks in and goes, "Oh, see you not wearing the jacket." So fight time. Thankfully, though, Postman Beast races back in and goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop what you're doing. This this distraction it like it's a match now. This distraction allows Sonia Deville to, to put the jacket back on and." uh. Postman Pierce, though, does say, yeah, he did kind of screw her over last week. So I'm going to book Naomi versus SmackDown Championship Contenders match next week.
2: Like, it wasn't a literal thing that she said. As soon as I saw or heard thermostats, I, like, I don't know where this is going. So it's not a hook, is it? You're an idiot if you don't see where it's going. Like, Naomi is like a six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid they do this thing when they reach that age when they start to learn like um logic traps and like the the way in which logic as a concept kind of works and they love doing that back to you to prove that they understand it and try and get away with stuff
1: hmm.
2: like James is doing that now six six years old
1: is he like he's like daddy can I not have a fruit shoot and you're not really <laughs> listening you're like no oh no, I can't have a free shoe, so I can. huh?
2: Yeah. And that's Naomi. Uh,
1: so next week, uh sorry to spoil this Smackdown preview. Um, next week, my pitch is uh Naomi gets one of her mates to go into the office and be like, oh god, Ooh, it's just I'm just in my gears, the problems. I'm just absolutely freezing. I'm, Oh, you got a blanket or something, uh, Sonia? I haven't got a blanket, but I'll tell you what—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm fine. So I'll, I'll do the—I'll do the nice thing. I'll put my jacket around you, and then she's the effectively the general manager and Naomi uh, batters Sonia Deville. That's my pitch, pitch for next week.
2: Because hey, it's no dumber than what they'll actually do.
1: The jacket of power. Ooh. Right. Um, Something good did happen next. There was a fantastic joke told uh, before a brief match between Madcap Moss and Kofi Kingston. So <laughs> Kingston's reading a proclamation from King Woods, and who unfortunately suffered a calf injury and will miss the Royal Rumble, which is a genuine shame. Plus love Xavier Woods. I uh, hope he gets well soon and recovers quickly enough from that. Uh, but Woods also decreed that Kingston would enter the Rumble match to res- uh, represent the kingdom. Out comes Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. Happy Corbin's happy because he's rich. He's good looking. Uh, he's bought himself a new watch. And the only thing that's going to make him even happier is when he throws Kofi Kingston out of the Rumble. Uh, talks about being happy when they injured Drew McIntyre. We get a recap of that. And then it's time for Madcap Moss to shine. Uh, and he says, what do you call the new day when it's just Kofi who's uh, crapping himself over how much he fears me. The poo day. <laughs> poo day. <laughs> I did like that line. Uh, Why? Lamp- Why? Because
2: hmm? it's got a word poo in it. You're an absolute animal.
1: <laughs> poo day. Imagine, like, because you, uh, like... That's genuinely gone back and forth five times, doesn't it? In a script meeting, like TV writers. Yeah, I used to work on uh, on uh, Dexter and on uh, Lost. Uh, and now I've had uh, five different poo jokes uh, be reviewed by Vince McMahon. Because uh, I have a feeling he probably was involved in this. I don't know why. I've just got a sense that...
2: No, I mean, no, 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 no. you got a sixth sense, don't you?
1: <laughs> He's probably going to be involved with the poo day and Kofi Kingston dropping a royal deuce on Moss's forehead. So he basically said he was going to on his forehead in this match. We don't really use the word Yeah, we? we use the word doce? did. Yeah?
2: Doce drop it, doce.
1: We don't yeah. really use that in the UK, do we?
2: No, we've got actual good words.
1: <laughs> right. So like I said, by the way, f- new favourite gear. When I create my new character on the new 2K whenever it comes out, I'm having Madcap Moss's gear. Shorts and suspenders, brilliant. No notes, fantastic. Um, but I, I say this all the time and it's probably because of the way he looks necessarily more so than his work per se, but he's going to be a megastar. I any mean, mad Madcap Moss. He's just, he's got all the right attributes to succeed in WWE to give a really backhanded compliment.
2: Yeah. I said something similar in a recent list, which you can read on uh, whatculture.com slash WWE now and title 10 wild outside bets to win the 2022 Royal Rumble match. Spoiler, Madcap Mask features on it for that exact reason. Will Bourne, hulking physique, great athlete, has terrible comedy stylings, which are meant to be like that's meant to get heat. So he's a stupid comedy character who's also ripped, and you know, he's not an ugly bloke at all, quite telegenic. The only thing he's missing is a big pair of silicone tits for Vince McMahon's particular sensibilities.
1: So early on, uh, Moss picks up Kofi. He's going to chuck him over the top rope for for Happy Corbyn to show that he can eliminate him ahead of the Royal Rumble. Uh, But Kofi reverses it and Moss gets uh, chucked to the outside and then Kofi dives onto both Corbyn and Moss to take us to an ad break. When we come back, Moss is in control. uh, Hits a fallaway slam on Kingston, but Kingston fights back, clotheslines, dropkick, kicks him in the chest, hits him with the boom drop, sets up for trouble in paradise. But of course, Corbin on the outside causes a distraction. Uh, Moss manages to avoid trouble in paradise, takes over. Kingston goes for a flying crossbody. Moss catches him. Kingston tries to hit the SOS, but Moss counters into the punchline. He gets the victory. I mean, he's rolling into the rumble, I suppose, in your predictions.
2: It's odd, like, just odd. If you watch this match and you you didn't keep... Up with WWE, and you watched it every now and then. It was a thing that you just quite liked. You'd have you'd have no idea that Kofi Kingston's a former WWE champion. that mm-hmm. like these things, like not they don't matter anything to them. It's just week to week, month to month, like preserving the idea of. I put it this way, I don't think Chris Jericho or Kenny Omega or John Moxley is ever going to lose in five minutes to a comedy character in an unannounced match in AEW. Like they care about these sort of things, and you in turn care about both those performers title lineages it's all this holistic thing it's impossible in WWE as for the quality of the match I don't know like my cat moss is like timings he's a little bit over exuberant maybe that's part of the gimmick because he is mad but it just comes across as quite a messy Mm. experience I don't know but I wouldn't be pinning Kofi in five minutes if I was them. no exactly
1: surprising that and speaking of odds let's talk about this main event segment face-to-face Seth freaking Rollins and Roman Reigns oh my god I was watching this late last night Sid and I can't tell you how much time I saved during these entrances so if anything happened and I've missed it apologies but I saved about 10 minutes watching this so they both come out take bloody ages to come out there um I will note that as Roman Reigns was making his entrance, Pat McAfee talked about the fact he's been champion for 502 days and he's going to break Brock Lesnar's record, Cole said, when he reaches 504, which is, oh, yeah, probably already happened, actually. Um, but the fans bloody love Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns chant and they, uh, they appreciated when he told Omaha to acknowledge him. Um Rollins though, uh, oh i mentioned there was a great there was a nice video package of the the WrestleMania cash-in which is always great to see. Anyway, Rollins says uh to Reigns, "Let's let's roll back the years and do the old shield fist." Uh, and Reigns just looks at him and sneers and says, eh, "That's beneath me now." Uh, and Rollins gets under his skin by talking about their track records when they faced each other. Rollins has beaten Reigns at every time that they fought. Uh, but Reigns says, yeah, that was in the past. I'm in God mode now. I'm the greatest of all time. Um, but Rollins says, you know what? Fair play. Look, look at what you've done. Look at all your accomplishments. But let's not forget, is that a real title win? You didn't win the title on your own, did you? I mean, the first time you won titles, you needed the shield, you know, now you need the Usos, the bloodline, um, and he says that's the difference between you and me. Without without Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, he was he was just fine. He climbed the ladder uh, to success. In fact, he climbed. He was climbing that ladder whilst Roman Reigns was riding the pine in the CFL. Uh, he talked about holding Roman Reigns' hand to get him through stuff whilst they were in the Shield. And again, he now needs the bloodline to hold everything up. And Reigns just says, ah. Uh, a waste of my town, uh, waste of my time. Uh, he says, you, you dress like a clown, you sound like a clown, you are a clown. And, uh, you know, if I really wanted a big time match, I wouldn't have picked you from Monday Night Raw. If I wanted to face a megastar, I'd have probably pick your wife. Oh. 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 And then, in amongst all this, the Usos try to jump Rollins, jumps out to the ring, jumps onto the announce table, and then leaps over another tack of theirs, Gets back in the ring, stares down Roman Reigns, and then he scarpers out to the ramp, tapping his forehead, saying, eh, you thought you are going to outsmart me? I've got you this time. It was a surreal end to the show, this.
2: Yeah, I thought it was absolutely crap, to be perfectly honest. You do these um, verbal shooty segments, typically when you haven't created... A story around the two people involved. It's usually like a meeting of two people who are good on the mic or are stars of their respective generations or whatever. We saw it with them, Cena and in Rains in yeah. the summer. We saw it with, um, we said it, we're seeing it right now with Punk and MJF. That's slowly becoming its own storyline. It's making sense for the context of that company. But because they'd never done anything in that company, there's no real story of which to speak. They decided to insult each other from across the ring for about a good 10 15 minutes like getting each other's heads or whatever. Why are they doing this format when they've actually got a history between the two guys? It's just odd. When they're talking about how, oh, well, you were in the Canadian Football League when I was coming up. Like, that's not a... This? If anything, Roman Reigns has succeeded at a quicker rate than you Mm -hmm. and at a more, like, calculable scale. Like, you've done more in less time. That makes you better than the guy who took ages to not be as good as you. Like, that's a weird self-own. Um, the Becky Lynch line, I guess, was good. Like Roman's presence is so great. Like the, I'm in God mode now, son. Like, I really enjoyed that. That was good. I love his delivery, I just love his presence, his disposition, everything about him. But this is this is so weird. It felt like they were meeting each other for the first time. And I, and yet they were talking about their shared history. Just a really I mean, odd, stilted thing. They looked like they talked about this history they shared together didn't really feel like they were two equals who would come together once upon a time, but had now gone their separate ways and were equal stature, single stars, because Roman Reigns looked like a serious deal. Seth Rollins did, in fact, look like an idiot, looks like he's got all the gear, but has no idea. And then the end bit with the Usos, when yeah. they came to attack Rollins, and Rollins outwitted them and outmaneuvered them physically, were you meant to sympathize? Were you meant to be happy that he escaped? because they're two heels here. like It just feels like, I understand that Roman got the Rona, right? But the last time a massive AEW main event was bodged because of it, we got Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley. And that's a ridiculous standard set for backs against the wall creativity. But it's a standard that has been set. This was drivel just, in a weird way that I can barely uh, articulate. Yeah, I, I get the point they're making up. Oh,
1: Seth Rollins has outsmarted Roman Reigns and the bloodline here. Will he do that in a few weeks at the Royal Rumble? But it felt to me like they went, okay, so Royal Rumble's end of January, right? Well, on the go-home SmackDown, we'll do a contract signing, okay? And the week before that, we'll do a thing where maybe the Usos and Roman Reigns, or Roman Reigns, attack Seth Rollins and leave him laying to close the show. And then they went, oh, crap, we've got another week on the docket here. Um have him just outsmart him and walk out of the arena and that's the end. It was just such a re- weird flat ending to the show, I
2: thought. Yeah, it's odd as well. And the thing is, is when you do these sort of shoot season, like promo exchanges, you come across like an idiot or the whole segment comes across as unconvincing when you've got something in the chamber, but because of the story you're trying to tell, I guess, you can't even use it. Seth Rollins, when he had his big run as champion in the storylines, was helped by Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, Randy Orton, and Kane. In fact, that was the entire premise of the feud was Seth Rollins sneaked away with a win. He was chosen as the uh, face of the authority. He consistently failed to get it done on his own, which was tiresome in the minds of Triple H and Stephanie. Triple H eventually turned on him, said we should never have thought of you as the pet project of WWE. And then Seth Rollins turned babyface and beat Triple H. and was like, oh, you should have because I've just beaten you. I'm not saying it was the best storyline in the world. In fact, it's odd that it has no cultural legacy, given they spent two years doing it. <laughs> but at the same time, Roman Reigns could have went, well, hang on. Yeah. Have you ever had a really great baby face run? Where you've not relied on light help? No. They Did it mention expressly that Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar all by himself at SummerSlam 2019? I don't think so. They should have. hmm
1: just t- it felt like there wasn't a main event basically on this week's show. Uh it you know, it, it felt main event worthy to have the two of them in the ring. But in terms of a closing end to the show, yeah, just surreal. Um that they were like, yeah one guy
2: felt like they belonged in the main event. Mm. The other guy, I'm sorry, did not. Yeah,
1: fair. Uh, right. Well, let's know your thoughts on Friday Night SmackDown on Twitter at what Culture WWE. Watch well, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M um, Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. For Daily Wrestling Podcast, got the Rampage review to come and the Monday Night Raw preview later on today as well. But for now, this has been the SmackDown review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,